Well, good morning and welcome to Foothills Church. It's so great to see each and every one of you. Thank you so much for joining us online. And we are really in an incredible series right now called, as you can see right here, Looking for Life. And what I love about this series is this, is that each and every one of us, that's really what, when we come into this world, that's what we're, that's what we're seeking. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for life. We're looking for abundant, full life that we can experience. And, and so often we end up doing what most people do. We, we kind of find success in a lot of different ways. We kind of like pursue relationships. We pursue making money. We pursue a career. There are a lot of things that we do to find that life. And this is something that we all have experienced and that we all experience and will experience in, in throughout our entire lives. And uh, so, but as we look into the scriptures, there, there, there's a book called Ecclesiastes, which we've been in for several weeks now, and, and I really, truly love how we've started this off because each and every week, I'm going home with something new and rich as, as we believe the author, who is Solomon, we, many believe that that's who that is. The author is, is seeking the same thing. Years ago, as he wrote this book, he's seeking the same thing. He's looking and seeking, seeking life. In fact, it's, it's incredible when you hear about who this guy is, um, that he's incredibly rich, wealthiest in the region, probably in the world. Most of us would say, hey, I respect that guy. Go get it. He has tons of relationships. Everybody, everybody reveres him. Everybody honors him. I mean, he, he has land. He has possessions. I mean, in this day and age, if you looked at him, he would have the biggest mansion in the community. I mean, he would have cars. He would have people. He had hundreds of wives, which, you know, some of us are going, eh, you know, that, that's, that's pretty challenging. But, you know, hey, for him, that was a big deal. But he pursued all of these things in his life to, to achieve what life really was. And as we've discovered over the last few weeks, if you've been here, if not, let me recap a little bit. He says, it's like chasing after the wind. He says, it's meaningless. He says that if we continually pursue that, in fact, it can seem very dark. Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books of the Bible and, and another one that we read is Proverbs. And many of us probably go to Proverbs because in many, time, many times when we read it, it's, it seems really uplifting. It seems really positive. It talks about you know, the wisdom that we can have if we do this, then this is gonna be the result. And, and we find out from Solomon, he says, even if you do this, it's not always gonna be like you think it's gonna be. It's not always gonna be the way that you originally planned. In fact, if we do this, it, it might not even happen. And so today we're we gonna camp out in, in Ecclesiastes 4, okay? So if you got your Bibles, wanna open up to that, you can open up our app and actually follow along with that as well or your, your Bible app. So we're gonna start out at the very beginning of this chapter, which as he opens this up, he brings up something that I have to be, have to be honest, when I read through this, I read through it several times because I'm like, wow. He starts with something that seems so dark and gloomy and dreary. And you're just sitting here today going, why are, you, why are you setting up a sermon talking about how dark this feels? Come on, pick us up a little bit. I promise you this, he gets, he gets it going in just a little while. But he starts with something that, that we all have addressed and that we all might have experienced or at least witnessed. And it's this right here. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. I mean, haven't we all seen some kind of oppression that has happened in someone's life? And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. 
And I know what you're thinking. Why is he talking about the oppressors getting comforted, right? And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Under the sun speaks of, he's mentioned that several times, under the sun means everything that happens in our life, under heaven, not that we have not achieved and gotten to heaven, but everything in our life, that as we experience this and everything that he has seen between the oppressed and the oppressors, there's no one to lift them up. There's no one to help them. And he makes this statement at the end that says that it, for them, it feels better that they didn't even exist. If you read in Job and other parts of the scriptures, Job even mentions that where he had so much, everything was taken away. And he says, it's probably, probably better that I've never even been born. And for those of us that have gone through being oppressed, those of us who have struggled in certain situations in our lives, the ways, what we've witnessed and what we've seen, and you have known and you've seen people that have gone without, that have gone without clothes, without food, that we see all over the world, that we, the countries that have experienced genocides, that, that we see in our lives and if we witness, maybe it's a marriage that seems to be falling apart and there's an oppressor, there's, a, there's, a, there's an abusive husband or, or a boss that is, that is oppressing an employee, that we've witnessed it, we've seen it, and the, the, the feeling is sometimes it's like, it's better to not have even been born. Wow. How gloomy does that feel? And I'm telling you what, when I read through this, I was reading through this chapter as I was preparing for this. And as I read through that section, I kind of moved on because there was a section I really wanted to get to, right? There was a section I was going, okay, that's really what I want to camp out on and be able to share this morning. And as I was reading through this, I couldn't get past this, this section, what he's writing here, because I'm like, there's something there. In fact, I never believe, in, in fact, when I open up God's word, I, I never just believe that I'm just reading to read. I, I honestly read this in, in every time going, God, you want me to do something with this? And if you've never really read through, I encourage you, we're reading through the New Testament as a church right now, read through it. There's so much that is so rich, and I promise you this, as you read it, you're like, I might not understand it, it's okay, come back to it. I had to read this about 15 times before I came back to it, even this time. And, and what I discovered was this, there is injustice in this world. You can't deny that. We've all seen it. We've all witnessed it. We've all seen it. Some of us have experienced it. There is, there's injustice in this world. And it's one thing to recognize. It's one thing to identify. It's one thing to say, yeah, that's true. Amen to that. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. But here's a question that I had to wrestle with. Does the reality of injustice break your heart? Does the reality of the injustice going on in this life that when you see people that go without and you see, you've experienced and you've witnessed and you've seen people that, I mean, you're maybe walking down the street and you see someone who's homeless and they don't have and you, and, and you know people that have gone without food and, and, and you know people that, have, that haven't had clothes and you know people that have, that have struggled all around the world or in our community or in our, in our nation, that you know people that, that they're, in a, they're in a very toxic relationship and they constantly are being pushed down and suppressed and you know that that relationship is something that is not healthy for them. So what do we do? If it, does, if it does not break our heart and we just read past this and go, mm, he's right, there's injustice in this world, then maybe we need to look inside and ask God, what's, what's going on? What's stirring in my heart? Because I promise you, the injustice that takes place in this world, that I believe Solomon is, re Solomon is recognizing, that he's saying there's no one there to pick them up. How sad is that? But here's the question. What can you do about it? What can I do about it? 
I mean, is there anything really that we can do about that when we see these? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are things happening all over the world and we stop and we can, we can pray for it. But, but I promise you this, that there are things that, that, that are right in front of us in so many ways that we can step in and we can, we can make a difference. In fact, I love the fact that we ended last year with a series Pastor Trent did that was so incredible called Make It Count. And he talked about what do we do to make our lives count? And when I ask the question, you know, what can you do about it? Some of us might be thinking, you know what? Well, I, when I heard about an injustice, I tweeted about it. Got on my little Twitter and my little, my little thumbs were working away. Or maybe we posted something on our Insta story and said, you know what? Absolutely, there are injustices going on in this world right now. And the government needs to figure out how to fix our welfare system. I'm gonna put that out there, send, make a difference. I'm not saying awareness is wrong. I'm not saying that we, we don't do those things, that we're not active in those things. But as we discovered and make it count, what can we do? I mean, we can, we can step into the mess. I can imagine we, we, we opened up to Matthew 25 in that series. And it talked about the sheep and the goats at the very end when, when Christ is going to judge. And, and at the very end, there's sheep and there's goats. And, and goat, does, goat is not greatest of all time, just so you know. Um, this is very different. In fact, the sheep, Jesus said, you know what? You know, enter in because what, what, there were, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And he continued on and he said, you know, when there was a need, when there was, you stepped in and you made a difference. And the goats, he said, hey, depart from me because I didn't know you. And they're going, whoa, 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 hold, hold it, hold it. So you're saying that we did nothing? I mean, I tweeted. He's like, yeah. You had an opportunity to, to step in and, and you didn't. You didn't provide the water. You didn't provide the food. And for who? Jesus, you weren't here. And he said, no, for the least of these. For those who are oppressed, where injustices take place in this life, in this, this broken world that we live in, injustices that take place amongst some that are just, just that life is dealt a bad hand. And that's one thing that Solomon's talking about even in this. He's going, sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes the wicked prosper and the righteous do not. We don't know why, that's reality, that's life under the sun, but what can we do to step in and make a difference? Man, I encourage you to get on Make It Count, get on that side, find ways. When you know of things that are taking place, step in, because as followers of Jesus, we can make a difference in the lives of others. In fact, I believe we're expected to because of what he has done for us. So as we start this chapter, man, as we open this up, there's something that's so incredibly rich right there to say, oh, how sad that is. But then the question is, but what can we, and how can that impact us? How can that impact us to step out and make a difference? And then we find that Solomon begins to move on to, to, to work. He begins to move on into, so, into the ways of, for himself and many of us that we begin to pursue success. Then we've identified what is success in this life. The secret to our success is to work hard, to achieve, to continue to move forward, to continue to make, make more money, to, to get status, to work up the corporate ladder. And he's saying, this is what most of us and many of us will do. But then there's a little bit of a warning that ha happens along the way. Then I saw all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity. Now, the interesting thing about this word right here, vanity, um, this word is, is actually hevel, which is, if you were in here in week one, Pastor Taylor spoke of this. It's not talking about vanity in a way of, of a vanity, like being vain or, or concerned about your looks. It's not really speaking of that. It's actually speaking of, of, of like smoke. Like you've seen smoke that kind of comes out 
and it just disappears. It's kind of mysterious. You can't really grab it. You can't really do anything with it. It's just, it's just this mysterious smoke that just, that just occurs and it just dissipates. It's gone. And so that's the reminder there. This is this, the, the, the envy of a, of a, a neighbor's haves and, and we do not have and we are the have not that we think this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. That's kind of gross. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Once again, we think in our American dream says, go, work hard. We're in, we're in make your life better classes. We're going to, we're reading these books on leadership. We're trying to figure out how do we go? How do we make? How do we do? How do we accomplish things? And he's reminding us right here. He said that if your desire for that is the envy of what your neighbor has, then we discover this, that envy can be consuming. Envy can be consuming. How many have, in, have at some point have had envy in your life? Anyone, anyone? Well, if you're not raising your hand, I'd love to talk after. Because you're a special person. Yes, I have. I mean, come on. In our life, I mean, you know, we, we see it on TV. I, I mean, just, if you think about the professional athletes, I mean, they're, they can do things that I can't do, but man, they make nine and a half million dollars a year and they're going, hey, it all is great until the guy on the other team makes 10 million. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Now I'm not quite as happy because he's making 10. I deserve the 10 because I'm as good as he is. And man, don't we in life do the same thing? I can't tell you the amount of times I've been in someone else's car, someone else's house. I mean, you, you, you love your Honda Accord, right? That 2008 Honda Accord is a dream. I mean, it's got the air conditioning works. Yeah, it's awesome. Have power windows, what? But then we jump in our friend's Lexus and we're like, oh, I gotta turn the knob on my air conditioning. I gotta turn it down. And theirs just automatically comes on. I need, God, I need. And our envy is what actually begins to, it, you know, it, it becomes consuming of us and we're no longer, we no longer find ourselves satisfied in what God has provided for us. And, and we also discover this in, in this passage. It's, it's crazy because the pendulum swings as he mentions this right between two verses. And he speaks of, of the, the, the envy that we have for others and how that can be so consuming. But then it swings the other side and talks about idleness. It's like, you know, it's like consuming your flesh. And so, so idleness is it can be cannibalizing. It can actually begin to consume yourself too. And I know that's a gross kind of word when you think about it, but it's basically it's taking from one thing to give to something else. And it's taking the, what you can do to, to, to make a difference, to make your life count, to make, a, to make an impact, to get to work. In fact, work is a good thing, I promise you that. He speaks of idleness right here, going, no, 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 don't let the envy of others cause you to basically be paralyzed and fold your arms and say, well, I'm not gonna do anything. God shows up in a burning bush. He did that once, he's not gonna do it for you, I promise. He's just saying the opportunity may be right in front of you. Well, I'm gonna wait on the perfect situation. And he's like, I gave you a situation, and here it is right in front of you, go. That God has provided, and, we, and, and for us, whether it be the envy or whether it be the idleness, here's a question that we have to ask ourselves through, as we read this is, are we content, are you content? Am I content with God's provisions? Are we really content with God's provisions? I mean, God's the one that's provided, right? 
We think we have, but no, he is truly the one that has provided. And are we truly content with what he has provided for us? I have to be honest, I've struggled with this a lot in my life. I've seen what others have had and I've been like, ah, I mean, if I, if I only had some of that, then my life would be happy. I would be content. I would be joyful. Several years ago, I had an opportunity, um, it was a matter, within a matter of about a year, I, I went between Peru and Costa Rica uh, on two different trips. And the churches that we were working with, the ministries that we were working with took us to, to homes, um, if you wanted to really call them that. In our, in our definition of a home, they really weren't. In fact, when I walked in, um, many of these homes, one of them I remember was just tarp, four sides, dirt floor, tarp on the ceiling. And I don't know if you know anything about a tarp, but they really don't breathe. There's no breeze or anything coming through there. And there's already 105, feels like 140 in there. And uh, um, we go to other houses where there's a dirt, just dirt floor and, and whatever they can do to make, you know, nail putting boards together as, as a surrounding and some kind of a roof. And, but each and every one of the homes that we went to, we probably went to 15 or 20 homes, both places. And, I, and I'll never forget as we're making these home visits that, that each person, when they looked at me and I walked in and I'm standing out there and they're like going, please come in. I'm there, we're there with the pastors, with the, with the ministry leaders, and, and they're going, please come in. And, and they served us whatever they had, which was not much, I promise you. And, and as soon as they walked in, <clears throat> they, they helped us find a seat, and they're like, welcome to my home. That was the feeling that we had. There was no shame of, I mean, you're, you're from America. I get it, you're from the US of A. You probably have a lot more than this. I'm kind of, you know, let's just meet outside for a minute. No, they said, come in, please, because this is our home. God has provided this. And I can't tell you the amount of times my pursuit of the American dream has caused me to lose sight of my contentment in what God has provided. Have you? Are you truly content with what God has provided for you? And he continues on as he's talking about work and, and, and accomplishments and, and what we gain. And he said, again, I saw vanity under the sun, the smoke, the, the, the vapor. And, and one person who has no other, either, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity, smoke, in an unhappy business. He mentions right there, he, he's like, hey, when you're pursuing, when you're working, when you're going for things, when you're trying to achieve, when you're trying to gain and you're trying to, whether it's money or status or whatever that is, when you're trying to, to, to gain all of this stuff, money, possessions, all of that, if you are by yourself, then working for self always ends, and it ends on, with only self. When we work for ourselves and it's just our gain, when we're about consuming, when we're about, hey, I'm gonna make so that, so that this can be something that I can use and that I can consume and that I can have. Then at the end of our days, guess what? You're surrounded with a whole lot of stuff and no relationships to share it with. And he's reminding that, hey, if nobody's, if nobody's come along with you, 
I mean, maybe, it's a, maybe it is your family that you need to be providing for and the provision, once again, is from God and we recognize that, we acknowledge that, but the provision is saying, I wanna be able to do and to give good gifts to my kids, absolutely. I mean, you know, the scripture tells us that, that, that how much you love to give good gifts to your kids, I mean, how much your heavenly father loves, give, loves to give good gifts to, to you. And so we love to be able to provide. We love to be able to say, hey, we wanna do some of these things and, and working hard and being a part of that and diving into saying, God, you have, you have given me this opportunity and, and I want to take advantage of this wholeheartedly and I wanna give my best and I don't wanna be idle and I wanna pursue and I wanna do these things, but to not have anyone to share this with, to be able to kind of give to along the way, it's, 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 we're just pursuing me. And from the very beginning, the original sin started with me. And honestly, I can't think of a single sin that doesn't involve me and what I want. And, and maybe it's, it's, it's the, the ministry of thinking about what it means to give to others and what it means to, to not just be, to, to be about self is, is, is you're thinking, what can I do and what kind of purpose can I find? Well, we discover this as he shares, working for others provides purpose. And I know everything that we do is for the Lord. I mean, our work is for him. It's, to, it's absolutely, I, my work, my hand, everything, my brain, everything that I do is for God. I mean, when you have that attitude, I'm telling you what, it, it's a game changer, which we discover that Jesus came said, I come to give you life, that you can have it abundantly. And so that as we begin to have this relationship with him, and as we begin to understand what that means, then we begin to work not just to consume for myself, but we're going, I wanna be able to provide for my family, but also when there's a need, I wanna have margin in my life. I wanna create this little, this little nest egg here, this little pool of opportunity to say that I wanna step in and help. I wanna be the one that helps someone to lift them up and to say, you know what, there's an incredible need going on with the church in the community. I wanna be able to step in and help with that financially. Or, or maybe it's just a ministry that you're just so, you're so actively involved and in. you're going, I wanna be able to do what I can do to give to that. And so when we do that, we're thinking about saying, and then what you do and what you're participating in, you're, 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 you're making a living for purpose, not for yourself. So the question, as, as we read this from, from, the, from the, the preacher that we read in there, is your work for others or for you? Is my work for others or for myself? Simple question. At the end of the day, when I get my paycheck, am I thinking, how am I gonna spend this bad boy? I've been wanting this for a while. Is that wrong? Not necessarily. I mean... God has given us opportunities to treat ourselves. In fact, if he's given us $10, he, he basically, as we read in the scripture, when we talk about tithing, he says, hey, hey, and starting out with, take, it, take $1 of that, give it, give it to the church, and then see the ministries take place of how you're gonna help fund that, and, and then live off nine to be, able to, have, to be able to share with yourself, with your family, and to be able to share with others. He's like, hey, this is it's pretty generous. You know, you think about it, you're like, wow, that's, that's a pretty, pretty good deal when you think about it. God, you've given it to me to begin with, and you're just saying you want one of the 10... Okay, so God says enjoy it, enjoy those things, but don't be all consuming because then you're chasing after the wind, which you will never, ever, ever catch. This, this next section here I absolutely love, and, and let's go ahead and read this together. This, this is one of my, you probably have heard this, you've been in church at all, you probably have heard this at some point, that the passage, in fact, you probably even heard this at a wedding because a lot of people use this at a lot of weddings, and it says right here, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. 
Think about that just a minute ago, what we just talked about work and everything that you're involved in. He's saying if you're by yourself, but right here he moves into this whole understanding of two are always better than one, two greater than one. And so in any area of our life, including work, and when you think about it, I mean, two people working on something is always most likely, I mean, I can't think of a situation where two is not better than one, but some of you may just be like, I just like to work alone. Promise if you train someone else along the way, they'll, they'll be able to come along and help you, which is another reason why we love to have so many people engaged in serving here at FC. We love to be able to say, two are so much better than one. I mean, can you imagine Pastor Brandon up here by himself trying to lead worship? That would be pretty fun to watch. But no, no, no. On any given Sunday, we, we don't wanna see that. I mean, imagine just one person standing out in the parking lot trying to direct people. No, we want, it, we want a little mini army that's around here just that has the role, that is the body of Christ, and that as we discover that two are always better than one for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, guys that go camping together, I know what you're thinking. I'm not saying warm with that guy. You can use a fire, it's okay. This is just an illustration here. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. How powerful is this right here, this understanding? And here is the wisest man. In fact, he said, you know what? It's basically understood that Solomon will be the wisest man that's ever lived. When God said, I'll give you any one thing, he said, I want wisdom. Now, wasn't always the wisest because as, he just, as we've discovered, a lot of this book that we're reading here is him saying, hey, I pursued that, let's not do that. In fact, I went this direction and basically it's chasing after the wind. And so as we discover, but right here, he lets us know the significance. He kind of gives us in the beginning this understanding of if you're making without, if you, if you actually are the one that's oppressed and you don't have anyone, and he says right here, he reminds us, and he lets us to know, man, relationships are so important. Anybody ever see the movie Castaway? Anyone? Raise your hand if you saw the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks? Yeah, yeah. A lot of dialogue in that movie. No, he ends up being a castaway on an island for hours, <laughs> hours upon hours. Actually, years for him in the movie. But he ends up, uh, you know, Tom Hanks ends up on the island. He's a castaway, he's by himself. And so what does he discover? Somehow along the way, anybody remember what it was? A volleyball named Wilson. Because it was written on there, Wilson. So he named it Wilson. And we find Tom Hanks talking to Wilson. Wilson doesn't talk back. So this whole movie, we discover this guy who is mentally beginning to lose it and he's going mad because he's alone. He, he has no relationships. My wife and I, we, we recently have been in this show, into this show called Alone. If anybody's watched that. So this is a show called Alone and it's, it's multiple seasons where they drop individuals off in the far Northwest, I mean, up in Canada, where it gets so cold and they drop them by themselves and they say, now survive. And for a few seasons, it was like, you get to the certain place and if you're the last person standing, you win. This last season was like, get to 100 days. And man, they put the best of the best out there. They put people that were trained for this, that had trained their entire lives to be like, you know what, I'm a survivor. Put me in any situation, I can survive. 
In the beginning, you see them out there and they're working super hard and they're doing what they gotta do and they're cutting down trees and they're building uh, you know, their, little, their little houses out there that, that were absolutely amazing, which that would not have been anything I would have done because I can't build anything to save my life. But they're incredible and they're, they're killing animals and they're, 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 they're catching fish and they're discovering how to feed themselves. But even through that, one thing you discover, even as we read right here, the good reward for their toil because if they had two, wow, wouldn't it be that much better? And they begin to realize that, that I'm kind of alone doing this and I'm doing okay, but woo, if I had someone else with me, this wouldn't be so hard. But then along the way, they realize this. We're not meant to be alone. They are alone by themselves. And as they get to a certain point, they realize, yeah, I can keep catching fish and killing animals and trying to stay warm and keeping a fire going but you begin to discover that they begin to break down because they don't have other people in their lives. There's no one there to share this with. They miss being with others at home. In fact, there was a, there was a study recently, the Mayo Clinic that I read that was pretty interesting. Um, the science begins to support this because it talks about a, a study that was done about having friends and it says this, having friends increases your sense of belonging and purpose. It boosts your happiness and reduces your stress improves your self-confidence and self-worth, helps you cope with traumas such as divorce, serious illness, job loss, or the death of a loved one, encourage you to change or avoid unhealthy lifestyle habits such as excessive drinking or lack of exercise. And I read that and I thought, duh. I mean, don't we all know in the relationships that we have, this is the benefit? The people that we are in relationship with, that we, this is the benefit for us and for others. In fact, it's not just that we're meant to be, we're not meant to be alone, but we also, that we are made to be with and for others. Not only are we made to be with, but we're made to be for them. In fact, when, when I read that, that, the passage a moment ago, when you read, it with, when you read that with me, did, did, did you think to yourself, you know what, I, I'm the one who has fallen down and I really need someone to help me get up because I've fallen down a lot in my life. I've been really cold, I need someone to help warm me up, which is absolutely incredibly necessary. But, but what about the flip side of that, where there are people that you know that you can be that for them? That, that, that it's not just a matter of going, I need people in my life to be that for me, but, but we need to be that for other people as the body of Christ, as Jesus has given us life and he wants us to live that in relationships with other people. I mean, he said, you know what? They will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. How can we love other people if we're not with them, if we're not engaged with them, if we're not in a relationship with them? Adam, in the very beginning, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for mankind. It's not good for any of us to be alone. We, we need relationships with other people. Paul in the New Testament, man, wow. What's the New Testament written by him? He's in prison and he speaks of the, this, this, the significance of being engaged with other people. And he says, come visit me, I'm lonely. I really could, could use this visit. I mean, we've all felt it, we've all experienced it. So we're made to be with and for others. And at the very end of that section, we read about a chord of three. Two is better than one. But a cord of three, a strand of three, is not easily broken. So the question is, what does your cord look like currently? Who in your life is that? 
And I know what you can say, and I read this. In fact, when I was reading commentaries on this, um, several spoke of the significance of, you know, the court of three that, you know, like you're thinking about in a marriage that it could be the two people and the court of three speaks of is, is God in the middle of those relationships and that, that cord is, is winding them together. And I, is that true? Yes. In any relationship, in any friendship, when two are coming together, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, when we have a relationship with Christ, that is that much powerful. That is that much more significant. But I also think it it speaks of just the fact that three is better than two, right? You're walking down the you're walking down a dangerous road. I mean, in fact, as we as we read in this in the Old Testament, I mean there there are pathways that will be that we along the way, and one person walks is pretty dangerous, right? It's like the the whole story of the Good Samaritan walking along, got jumped, got robbed. Two people going, eh, might little be a little bit better. You got three, better chance of making it. Three on any job, better chance of finishing it early. Three is always gonna be better. I mean, this is a huge reason why we do small groups here. Not only, not only this part, but when you read about Jesus and his life and his relationship with, with the disciples and he, the way he modeled it, he said, you know, we need to be in community with other people. And so that's exactly why we do our groups. We just had a, a small group connect that was online where people could get online. If you, we closed on Friday, but I promise you this, if you drop by the Connect Center, we will do our absolute best to find you a small group to be in because we believe it's that important. We have some that are online, some of us that are watching online, you're going, hey, I'm not, I'm not at the point of being able to be with other people yet and, and we wanna respect that and we've got some online groups that we'd love to help you connect but if there's anything, and please don't take this wrong and it'd be easy to politicize anything anyone says now but if there's anything that we have learned, if this last year was a social experiment of something that said, you know what? I'm gonna drive a wedge in people that can get together and be together. And it's just for us, it just happens to be a pandemic. We're gonna isolate, we're gonna extract people. And when you are together, you're not really together because you're distanced and, and you have to be more concerned in, in all that you do. If there was a science experiment that said, let's just do that. Haven't we all experienced how depleting that is? How life removing that is? I mean, when you truly think about all that's happened over this last year about financial loss, job losses, businesses being shut down, I mean, we have experienced relational robbery. And it's been causing an emptiness. Studies are showing that teenagers and adults are becoming more and more depressed. This isn't, this isn't to say that, oh, well, you gotta, this is what we got. No, no, all I'm stating is just the reality of just if you just acknowledge it and see it, it's just, it's just the way we were not meant to be. So with that being said, what does your cord look like? If you have to be by yourself right now, if you have to be more removed, how are you reaching out and connecting with others? How are you for them and they are for you? What can we do to continue to let that cord grow and to be strong so that when we fall, someone's there to pick us up. When they fall, I pick them up. When they're hungry, I help them. And so it just becomes this relational growth that happens that I believe God uses so significant for our spiritual growth. So then as we wind down this chapter, Solomon takes us to a parable. He says this right here. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom, he had been born poor. 
I saw the living who move about under the sun, and along with that, youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice. Those who come, they will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. And I think what he's reminding us here is this. It's better to be poor and wise than rich and foolish. It's pretty straightforward. In that parable, he's saying, you know, I've had all of it. I've been rich. I am, I mean, as he wrote this, I imagine he still is. He's going, I I have it all. But I promise you this, that's not gonna bring life. You want life? You wanna experience life? You wanna pursue life? That's not where it's found. Is that a blessing? Sure. But it can also be a curse. Because you can continue to pursue so much stuff in life and to pursue that success that you continually, continually push others away. Constantly striving for achievement can drive others away. Because we're just, we're just going after what we want. And this, once again, boils down to the relationship of saying, I'm centered on me, not thinking about what can I give and be a part of to others. As we read that a moment ago, he said that, 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 that along the way, no one was there to celebrate. No one was there to acknowledge. No one was there. No one was there. And so was it wrong for the, for the king to be wealthy? No. But the king, in so many ways, was foolish because was thinking about what can I do to push others aside, to bowl them over, and to continue to pursue what is best for me. So here's a question as we wrap this up. What is more important to you, accomplishments or relationships? Accomplishments or relationships? Are the relationships that significant and important to you? To say that, you know what, along the way, man, I wanna leave a legacy with people. When I get to the end of my days, I wanna know what people, what they say about me was, you know what, successful, driven, all of these things, but at the end of the days, care more about me than what they could provide or what they could give or what they could do. That's a, could be a poor youth. What happens around being a foolish king says, I have to do whatever I have to do to earn for me. So so as I encapsulate all of this, when I read through Ecclesiastes 4, I I think there was one bottom line that that really resonated and it's this, that we are better together. That that when we are the body of Christ, when when we truly operate in that way, that when we are his hands and his feet and he says that no matter what you are as the body, I mean, the body is not to be divisive and separate and pulled apart. When he says that you're the body of Christ, when you operate in this way, now go and, and make disciples. Go and make a difference in this world. Go and impact this world for the kingdom. Let them know that I am here. Let them know that what my relationship with them is, is far surpasses any other relationship. In fact, Solomon's writing all this and he's talking about the significance of relationships. And then, man, as Christ came years later, and fulfilled everything he's saying. When he's got the broken, I'm there for you. The ones who are without, I'm there for you. The ones who need to be picked up, I'm here for you. But then he reminds us as his followers, they need a hand, you be my hand. They need you to go visit, you be my feet. Go and make it count. Make a difference in the lives of others can't tell you the amount of times. I mean, I love our small group. Our small group has come together in some really hard times this last year. Some people that have really wrestled with some things and we've celebrated and we've laughed together, we've cried together. 
I, I don't know where we would be without them at this season of our life. And I'm sure there's countless more stories that we hear in this room of that. And we want you to experience that and have that because we truly are better together. Not because it's just what we want. It's because it's the way our designer designed us. Heavenly Father created us in this way. And to pursue other things that fill that, that area of our life is heaven. Smoke. Chasing after the wind. He says, to make a difference in our world. Let's do for others. Let's realize the significance of what it means to have other people in our lives and us to be there for them. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we are so amazed at how much you love us. I mean, the, the, the free gift of eternal life that you've given us, we've never deserved it or earned it. We turn from our ways, our pursuits. We repent, we come back to you. And then we embrace you. But God, each and every day, I know it's so easy for us to drift and it's so easy for us to begin to pursue all of these areas that we read about here from Solomon saying, pursue that, I promise you this, at the end of your days, you're gonna feel empty. And God, as we embrace that, as we recognize where our true full life that you promised us is found, we realize it's not in pursuing me. It's pursuing what will point people to Jesus because we know that is where life is found. Where's the meaning of life? Where do we find it? In Christ. And oh, and then when we live that life and truly celebrate it as you called us to live it, it changes others. And our life here on this earth and for all of eternity is that much richer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.